pace for always playing um, beautiful music before we ever start anything. Um, definitely appreciate it. Uh, today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, last afternoon service, Pastor Ben did chapter 8, and there was a lot of, um, a lot of things going on there that set up a lot for chapter 9. I mean, I was just talking to Nicholas, and chapter 9 pretty much sets up a lot of what's going to happen in the future. So chapter 9 is that first 15-20 minutes of the movie that you're watching where nothing happens, and you really are hoping the movie ends up getting good at some point, but you're not totally confident yet. Uh, but it's an exciting thing when you know the whole story and you're able to see kind of the beginning of what you know was ultimately to happen. And before we get going, let's just open with a word of prayer. God, thank you for uh, today. Thank you for another beautiful day that we're able to be uh, together and enjoy. I um, just thank you for the worship time that we were able to have this morning to come together and sing praises to you and learn about you. Um, I just pray that you would allow me to speak uh, clearly and just pray that your word would be um, properly um, elocuted today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 9, uh, 27 verses. We're going to go through all of them uh, pretty quickly here this afternoon. Uh, from the very beginning, I just want to remind us what we saw in chapter 8, something that was extremely important. Um, we're starting to see Israel's demand for a king. Up to this point, they had been without a king for so long that they were growing tired of not having a king. Now ultimately, God was their king. God was to be their king, their ruler, everything, and they grew tired of that. They wanted an actual person to be in leadership, to actually be the king, a physical king that would look like all the other kings that would surround them. And Samuel, in chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 10, warns Israel about their desire for this king and is telling them what's going to happen. Uh, so flip back to chapter 8, starting in verse 10. It says, And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands, and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make instruments of war, and instruments of his chariots. And he continues, And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks, and to be bakers. And he will take your fields, and your vineyards, and your oliveyards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maidservants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. It's an incredible warning. Uh, in summation, you want a king, this is what's going to happen. So at the end of the day, trust me, you do not want this to happen. He's going to take everything that you love. He's going to take your family. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your money. He's going to take all the work that you've done. So it's a very harsh warning. And again, Samuel is bringing forth this warning to Israel to allow them time for a change of heart, giving them the warning of, look, if you do this, then this is going to happen. You do not want this to happen. But as we always see, Israel gets stuck in their ways and decides that they want to reject God and they want their king. So they repeat their demand for a king. And then Samuel in verse 22, And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. So again, they repeat, even right, af right after this warning, the people again ask Samuel for a king. And the Lord says, Samuel, 
listen to them, just give them what they want, give them their king. Uh, what we see in Romans 2 is we actually see um, in Romans chapter 1 this idea of God giving us over to our sin. It's you continue to ask for this, this is what you want, I'll allow you to have it, and that's your punishment. Um, just an incredible, incredible picture, which gets us right into verse, or verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9. So starting in verse 1, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Seror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. In verse 1, we see, as we usually do, this lineage, and we see that Saul came from a good stock or a good lineage. So great reputation from his family. We see that Saul is handsome and he's wealthy and he's taller than others. He's smarter. He looked perfect. He's the perfect image of what you would want in a king. We see all these attributes and we talk about um, how good he looks, about his family, how he's wealthy, and how his appearance is. And all of these attributes that are given are outward appearance. There's not really much about his character. There's nothing that says he was a meek man, he was a patient man, he was kind, he was gentle, but simply he looked good and he had money. So that kind of gives us a good idea of where this is going to go. Someone who might be self-centered, and we're going to see that as we continue on through the next few chapters in the coming weeks. Um, but we're going to see, and keeping in mind as we read through chapter 9, this warning from 1 Samuel chapter 8. Keeping in mind the warning that came just prior. So again, all these outward attributes. Uh, verses 3 through 5. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise, go and seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they... And there they were not. And he passed through the land of Benjamites, but they found them not. So to go through all of these lands, Saul's father is telling him, go and find these asses, they're lost, we need to find them. And they go through all these lands and they have yet to find them. And in verse 5, And when they come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to a servant that was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. So, at the end of this, they're searching, they're searching, and Saul and the servant give up looking for these asses, for these donkeys, because Saul thinks that his father might be missing him. Hey, let's stop looking because my dad might forget about this because he might be concerned about where I am. I'm sure he's missing me. He's extremely self-centered. He's thinking of himself. Now again, if I was searching um, from town to town to town just looking for some donkeys, I probably would have quit as well. But again, living in a different time, this was everything to them. This is... Um, much of their wealth and where this comes from. But again, we kind of see a little bit of self-centeredness out of Saul. Of I'm sure my dad misses me. He'd just love to have me come home. I'm so awesome. Um, one uh, commentary I read um, suggested that there could be a parallel to Israel's rejection of God as the king, of Saul having to go out and seek this stubborn flock, this group of asses that had wandered away, and now Saul is going out to find them. Again, it's not sheep, um, so there's... There's some up and down with that analogy, but again, it is a good picture of interesting that this stubborn flock has run away and now Saul is out to go get them. Um, just incredibly interesting. Uh, move down to verse 6 through 10. 
And he said unto him, Behold now, there is a man in this city, a man of God, and he is an honorable man. Notice that distinction. When we, when we learned about Saul, everything was outward appearance. He looked good, he was handsome, he was wealthy, he was tall, he was smart. But now the servant is talking to Samuel about a man, talking about Samuel, and says he is an honorable man. Nothing of the outward appearance, but simply a matter of the heart. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go hither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring this man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. That will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. So we see the servant suggesting, Hey, I've heard of this guy. He's truly a man of God. He's an honorable man. Everything that he says happens. Anything that he says comes directly from the Lord and it comes to pass. And Saul responds, well, what are we going to give the man? It's something that we should, we should be able to give to him. He's a man of God. We need to treat him appropriately. And the servant says that he has the fourth part of a shekel of silver. says, I have a little bit of something I can give him. We're not going to come empty-handed. We'll give this to him. Uh, verse 9 and 10, Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. So again, simply just saying that a seer, or a pro what we now know as a prophet, was once upon a time uh, called a seer. Then, he, then said Saul to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went unto the city where the man of God was. So up to this point, we see an interaction between a servant and Saul, and they're on their way to go find this honorable man. Uh, verses 11 through 13 we find them pretty much asking for directions on how to find this honorable, honorable man. Verse 11, And as they went up to the hill of the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water, and said unto them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, He is. Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today to this city. For there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place, as soon as ye be come into the city, ye shall straightway find him, before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice, and afterwards they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time ye shall find him. So they ask how are they going to find him, and these maidens who are out there drawing water at the time give him basically every direction that could possibly be needed to be able to find him saying, he's going to go up there, the people are going to wait to eat the food. They're not going to eat before he blesses the food, before he prays over it. They're going to be waiting for him. So get up and go, for now is the time to find him. So we're seeing this again, that they're looking to find it. And what's interesting is when I was studying and reading this, is that Saul lived five miles from Ramah, where Samuel actually lived. He's five miles away from where Samuel was living and was growing up, but yet he had no idea where to find this person. Um, that kind of, in my mind, plays to this idea of the self-centeredness of Saul, of that I don't care what's going on outside of myself, whatever else is going on out there, I'm just going to handle what I need to take care of, what's best for me. And especially at this time, five miles didn't, wasn't too much of a distance for them to know what's going on. A um, person who's basically the biggest celebrity and is almost, in a sense, the substitution of a king, 
These people looked to Samuel. They loved Samuel. They thought he was honorable. But yet this man, Saul, had no idea how to find him, no idea where he would be, hadn't even heard of him when he was talking to the servant. Just kind of an interesting detail. Slide down to verse 14. And they went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Samuel came. So we see that the Lord had spoken to Samuel about this a day before Saul came. Again, Samuel continues to have conversations with the Lord. The Lord is always in Samuel's ear, telling him what's going to be happening. And he says this to Samuel in verse 16, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. Lord is telling Samuel, this man is going to come at this time tomorrow. He's going to be from the tribe of Benjamin. He's going to be an, you are going to anoint him to be a captain or a leader over my people to save them from the hand of the Philistines. Specific details are being given to Samuel. It's not, a man will come and talk to you, do what he wishes. He will come at this time. He will be from the tribe of Benjamin. You will anoint him to be king over Israel. They had not had an anointed king for years. This is not something that was commonplace. Again, just an incredible um, picture of God's faithfulness and how active God is in our lives and that he's specifically telling Samuel what's going to happen down to intimate details. Just an incredible, incredible picture. Verse 17, And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. So we see, we see the prophecy. We see him telling Samuel what's going to happen in verse 17. Samuel looks upon Saul, and the Lord affirms everything that was told to him the day before. This is the man. Very clearly, this is the man to whom I spoke of. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. So he's asking Samuel, hey, where's the seer? And Samuel says, I'm the seer. You found him. Now go up to the high place and wait for me. So up to this point, we kind of see this picture of Saul just wandering, looking for this man, not totally sure of where he's going, what's going on. Um, but we see Samuel continuing to talk to the Lord. We see the Lord speaking once again to Samuel very actively. In verse 20, Samuel again speaking to Saul says, And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on the father's house? So again, do we remember all this started because Saul was charged by his father to go out and to look for these asses that were lost. And Samuel immediately responds to Saul by saying, oh, and as for those asses that were lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They're found now. So basically that mission is done. Now you can just stay here with me. A very simple thing of that mission that you came to accomplish, it's already taken care of. Don't worry about it. 
And he says, And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on thy father's house? Samuel tells Saul that Israel desires him. He's telling this to Saul. And we see Saul's response in 21. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? We see this response of, Who am I? Why, why would I be desired? Am I not part of the tribe of Benjamin? It's a small one. It's not, I'm not from a priestly order. I'm not a Levite. I'm not someone well um, regarded as far as everything um, regarding the tribes. So Saul is very confused. He doesn't understand. Am I not from a small tribe, he asks. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about thirty persons. And Samuel said unto the cook, Bring the portion which I gave thee, of which I said unto thee, Set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder and that which was upon it, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Behold, that which is left, set it before thee and eat. For unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said, I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. We see Saul being given the special portion of this fellowship offering that belonged to the priest and was specifically set aside for him prior to their interaction. Put yourself in Saul's position. You wander out to go find donkeys that your father or someone else, a servant, may or may not have lost. But they're lost and they're wandering. And all you're doing is going out to find them. You go from town to town to town. You find nothing and you say, Hey, servant, let's just go home. My dad probably misses me. They continue to wander, and then the servant says, hey, let's go find this man of God. Maybe he can help. Um, God speaks to him. Maybe he's going to help find him. And Saul's like, all right, cool, but we need directions. So they find these, these ladies who are drawing water. Again, this is a very um, modern paraphrase of what's going on. But that's how I think. Ask for directions, and, and the ladies give better directions than I ever could and tell him exactly where to go. And they go there, and they meet Samuel, and they say, hey, Where's this man of God that we're looking for? Where's the seer? They're speaking to the seer, and Samuel says, It's me. So tells him what to do. Go up to the high place and wait. And again, all this time, you're kind of confused. You're, you're, you're in Saul's shoes, and you're going, Okay, I don't really know what's going on. I came here to look for donkeys. Now I'm in this high place with the priest, and there's a sacrifice, and I'm in, um, what is it, the chiefest place among the 30 people. Um, this cook is bringing out this portion that's very specific that's supposed to be given uh, to the priest, but it was specifically set aside for him. He had no intention of being there. He had no communication with Samuel of saying, I am coming, set this aside. Samuel had done this prior to any interaction between the two. Just an incredible amount of details that are taking place just within this chapter for everything to come together. Incredible amount. There's no way that coincidence could have done this. Verse 25, And when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel, abroad. So they wake up the next morning, and they're going to the, end, to the edge of the city. They're walking out all together, Samuel and the servant and Saul. And we see in verse 27, And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said unto Saul, 
bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still for a while that I may show thee the word of God. So Samuel, they're walking together and he says, Saul, send your servant away. Tell him to continue on. But you stay back with me for a while. Again, Saul has not interacted with Samuel too much. Um, Leap of faith maybe on Saul's part to just say, sure, I'll send my servant away, a random guy I just met today, but I'll stay back and, and talk with you. And we're going to kind of skip ahead, just dip into uh, chapter 10, verse 1. But again, remembering what was to come to pass at the end of chapter 8. Saul is going to be anointed as a king who's going to be the fulfillment of what is talked about in chapter 8. Samuel is being um, continued. People are continuing to ask him and beg him for a king. And the Lord says, Samuel, give them what they want. Go out and find a king. Saul, we see that he is groomed for this. He looks the part. He looks like a quarterback. He's tall. He's handsome. He's wealthy. He looks like everything you would want for someone to lead you into battle. He's the perfect picture of what you would want. Um, When Nicholas and I were speaking just before this, this idea of our presidential candidates as well, you want them to look the part. Um, I was reminded of, from my history class um, when I was a sophomore in high school, when Kennedy and Nixon were running against each other. If you listened on the radio, one person won. If you were watching on TV, one person won. Kennedy looked better on television than Nixon did. He wasn't sweating as much. He just appeared to look more composed. But people who listened on the radio said, wow, Nixon's answers were a whole lot better. He did a whole lot better. So it's just interesting in that when people are looking for leaders, what is it that they look for? You would think that they would look for principle and for character. Someone like Samuel, who is who is a humble man, who was honorable, but these people desired a king who just looked good. They wanted him to look strong, to be a leader in that sense. And they were looking for a leader in all the wrong places. So we see in chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? We see Samuel anointing Saul to be king over Israel, and only Samuel and Saul knew about it. They're the only two that are aware of what's going on. So the people desired a king. They rejected God as their king, and they wanted a replacement. And we're going to see this replacement being found in the person of Saul, who simply looked the part, but did not have the character um, that you would have um, desired for a king. Not the character that God had informed them in previous generations to look for. Again, they rejected God and said, how can we get someone that looks good, that looks like everyone else around, like every other king? Uh, which we're ultimately, as we continue on, we're going to see the warning Samuel gave back in chapter 8 being fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for this time. Thank you that we're able to look in your word and even just in this chapter to see, um, to, to receive a warning of what it is that we're to look for in leaders, that we're able to see Samuel, who's an honorable man, and what high regard he was held in by the people of Israel. Thank you that that he sought to do your will, that he was doing your bidding at all times, that, that he had an ear that was inclined to you, and that you spoke to him and he followed in obedience to you. Father, I just pray that as we look at this, that we would look um, to follow an example that Samuel had set, that he chose to obey you, that he, he understood what was to come. Um, he understood the warning that came in chapter 8. He knew what it is that would come if he were to anoint Saul but he still chose to obey you. Um, Father, I just pray that we, would re- that we would be able to look at this chapter and be able to apply it 
into our lives, that we would serve you with obedience, that we would seek to be honorable men and women in our lives. I just pray that you would be with us as we go from here today. Um, continue to love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.